listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Energetic, colorful, charismatic. Flutist Lindsay Goodman is a soloist, recording artist, chamber collaborator, orchestral musician, educator, and clinician. Renowned for her generous warmth of tone and a fluid virtuosity, Lindsay has performed solo and chamber concerts, taught master classes, and given presentations at countless series, festivals, and universities with energy and artistry, conveying her exuberance and creativity. A committed advocate for living composers and electroacoustic music, Lindsay appears to know no fear in tackling the most demanding music and is an active commissioner of new works with over 140 world premieres to her credit. Lindsay is principal flutist of the West Virginia Symphony Orchestra, adjunct lecturer at West Virginia State University and Marietta College, and solo flutist of the new music ensemble What is Noise. She is a founding member of the Leviathan Trio consisting of flute, cello, and piano, flute quartet Pandemonium Four, and Chrysalis, a singing flutist and singing pianist duo, showcasing her training as a classical mezzo-soprano. So let's talk about this, uh, your third solo album, Aterio, and it's uh, re- been released by Navona, currently available now on all of the major platforms, so go buy it, buy it, buy it. Um, this is, uh, uh, like I said, your third solo album, and it features a number of different composers. So how did this album come together for you? Um, Parma Recordings is the parent company of Navona, and they... And I have been working together on a number of projects. I released my second album with them on this same label. And then my trio went on a tour to China with their company. Afterwards, they approached me and they said, hey, we'd really like to have you be one of the artists for our upcoming call for scores. And so this project, a result of the 2018 spring call for scores, And the pitch was made that it could be for solo flute, solo flute with electronics, my trio, Leviathan, which is flute, cello, and piano, or any subset of those. And so this went out uh, to a whole bunch of folks over social media and from Parma's uh, collection of contacts. And from there, we got just hundreds of great pieces, and the album took off from that point. Is there... Is there kind of a general theme or mood or feeling that ties this group of pieces together? Or was it just like, these are the best, I want to work with these? I would love to say that it's the first, but it's definitely more of the latter. Uh, (laughs) So it was a matter of the composers that really wanted to participate and the things that worked best with the forces at hand that we ended up recording. So I I am very pleased with all of the works on the album. I think they all have a a very unique and exciting voice, Uh, but there's no overarching theme to the entire project this time. Where does the title Aterio come from? This is uh, one of the tempo markings in Peter Castine's piece In Memoriam. When I was thinking about a title for the, for the, album, I often like to go for tempo markings because I think they're so evocative. Uh, and so I had two that were tied for for the vying rights. And it was eventually decided that Aterio was the one. Uh, this particular marking means ethereal, and I think it really speaks to the character of Peter's piece, which is a work for alto flute and cello with accompanying toy piano and crotales because yes (laughs) Uh, so that piece is definitely ethereal but I think that in general the flute can have that sensation overall as an instrument and so I thought it spoke really well to the majority of the works on the project though they all have their own personality so as we said, this is your third solo album, and you've been on you know numerous others. Uh, you clearly like the recording process. So what does recording do for you as a performer? I think that it's more about what recording does for the composers and for the works rather than what it does for me. As a solo performer and as a chamber performer, 
all of my projects are centered around the music of living composers. And for the most part, works that I'm either commissioning for myself, for my groups, or works that are by people with whom I have or have developed some sort of personal connection. So to me, music making is is very interpersonal. It's about the intersection of the composer with the performer and then taking that to complete the triangle to hear through the ears of the audience. So as a performer, I'm always thinking about that triangle of communication and it doesn't matter how many dozens of solo concerts I do, I can still only reach X number of people at a time. And yet I feel so passionately about the vast majority of works that I perform. I just want everyone to hear this wonderful music and these works by living, breathing creators who are coming up with something brand new that speaks to the world we live in. So to me, recording is a way to reach the widest audience for that music to be heard. So that's why I keep going back to the studio again and again. There's just so many great works and I want everyone to hear them. I mean, what you're what you're doing is, you know, a really important thing. You know, first of all, giving these works, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh performances so that, you know, uh it does, you know, a lot of a lot of pieces out there, they die at the premiere. And it's only that certain group that was there at the premiere that gets to hear them. I mean, maybe they, maybe the premiere was good and it gets, you got a good recording and you can put it up on your website, but let's be honest, you know, that's not going to reach, um, or have the potential reach that, you know, uh, doing these multiple performances and doing these recording projects would have. Um, so for, uh, for all composers out there, we, we thank you. <laughs> Well, I I really do think that as a performer, I'm the servant of the music. And one of the reasons I, well, the primary reason that I do new music rather than just Beethoven is because I want to interact with as many creators as possible. That's what I'm here to do. And so, of course, I'm going to try to do that to the best of my ability. And going back to what you said about multiple performances, I think that's so important I am not a one-and-done sort of performer. When I talk with composers about new works that we might be creating, I always do give the caveat, well, I'll always premiere it. (laughs) If I don't like it, I can't guarantee more. But I, I can't even think of one piece that I've commissioned or been involved in the creation of that I haven't give in multiple performances of. Because by the time that we interact so much, it's it's always going to be a project I'm passionate about. Yeah, I was I was just going to say that it, I'm I'm assuming that you kind of, I mean, you just said that the that we we are creating this project together, and I think that's the operative word there. You have this collaboration with the composer from the beginning, and that you you have a personal stake in it, as opposed to you know. Uh, just, I guess, like blindly going out and saying, oh, you write me a piece, you write me a piece, you write me a piece, and then you see what you get. And then uh, I, I can imagine that some a, a process like that wouldn't necessarily work all the time. Having done both things, I will say that I think my process leads to the best results. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. So so let's uh, let's get into some of these pieces that are on the album. And I wanted to start with our uh, our friend and adjective collective member and frequent Lexical Tones guest, uh, Jennifer Jolly, and her piece, which is called Flight 710 to Cabo San Lucas. And this is for, uh, this is performed by your trio, the Leviathan Trio. Um, so this was obviously part of that call for scores. And, and you, you, you've known, uh, how, I mean, how long have you known Jen? Uh, well... Until recently, we were both Central Ohio buddies. (laughs) So I've known her for for a handful of years, and I've long admired her music. So can can you tell us a little bit about this piece and why it kind of spoke to you for this recording project? When she said that she had a trio... I was already like, that's done. We're going to record that one. I don't need to hear it. (laughs) And then when I did hear it, 
It has the most tremendous rhythmic drive. It is so funky. She, uh, in her program notes, she talks about listening to a lot of James Brown music and the opening tempo market is say it loud. Oh man, (laughs) that's great. (laughs) It's quintessentially her. And for an unusual instrumentation like flute, cello, piano, that is like a modified classical piano trio and you're still trying to figure out, oh, what can I do with these instruments and this disparate collection of sounds? I think she's really found on a way to write for this ensemble in a way that feels orchestral. As all of us together create one sound that's greater than we could have alone. And this is really unique in her writing. It's got tremendous groove. And I immediately knew this was going to be the closer on the album because you got to end with a high note. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and it's interesting that you said, you know, that it, she was treating the trio more orchestrally because this piece has been arranged for orchestra. And you think of, like when you listen to the piece and think about, oh man, she exploded this out into orchestra. I mean, there, the, you know, there are only three instruments and uh, I, I need to go listen to the orchestral version because I, I think that projects like that where you take something where it looks like there's not that much there and then you get to like, re-examine the material and play with the material in an orchestral setting and really just focus on orchestration for once as opposed to composing straight into the orchestra. Oh man, that had to have been that had to have been a lot of fun. Oh absolutely. I would have loved to be in flying the wall when she was doing that. Yeah. And I think it really shows her command of the source material and all her rhythmic motives throughout. And then her command of being able to write for all of the instruments, whether it's in the trio or in the full ensemble, it just shows what a master she is at the craft. The the title, Flight 710 to Cabo San Lucas, um, frequent listeners of the podcast will no doubt have, uh, well, some people may have already guessed what it is, um, but frequent listeners will be not surprised to learn that it is taken from a Tarantino movie. Um, it's the first, uh, it's the first line. I think it's the first line of text in, uh, in the Tarantino's movie, Jackie Brown. She, Jen and I have talked a lot about Quentin Tarantino on this podcast already. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you said that, you know, this was this trio, the, the Leviathan trio that you're in and the, the instrumentation specifically, it's kind of like a modified piano trio. So how did the three of you get together and was there repertoire or did you, did you just make a big push like, hey, we're a trio, write for us? It's a great question. So the trio is cellist Hannah Presley and pianist composer Joe Dangerfield and I. Joe and I met when we were teaching at a summer music festival in West Virginia. I play with the West Virginia Symphony. Joe is a West Virginia native. Uh, And of course, Joe and I came together initially with this instrumentation to play the masterwork by West Virginia's favorite compositional son, George Crumb. We played Mm -hmm. Vox Bellini. And later we were like, boy, we really like playing together. We should do some more of that. And so there's another wonderful cellist in the West Virginia Symphony, Hannah Presley. We uh, contacted her about wanting to collaborate. We had a wonderful time doing some more crumb together. We commissioned some other works, including now at this point, two by Joe himself. And at that point, we're like, okay, we got to start asking people to write for us. (laughs) (laughs) So every time there's a piece that actually already exists for this instrumentation, we get very excited. Um, Joe and Jen have actually taught together at a summer festival as well. So two-thirds of us were already big Jolly fans. (laughs) (laughs) Man, we need to come up with like like a name for Jolly fans. (laughs) I know there are probably enough out there that it would warrant like, you know, some kind of a name for the fan club. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. So uh, getting back to getting back to this piece now, let's uh, let's listen to it. 
So this is the Leviathan Trio, which is Lindsay Goodman on flute, Hannah Presley on cello, Joseph Dangerfield on piano, and this is Jennifer Jolly's piece, Flight 710 to Cabo San Lucas. Thank you. 
The beginning of this album is five solo pieces, and then you have a piece for flute and electronics, and then we get into the duos and trios at the end of the album. So I want to focus on a couple pieces from the beginning of the album, which are just uh, flute solo. And what do you what do you look for in solo music? I mean, it seems that nearly everyone has a flute solo out there it's kind of like the new music version of the piano sonata at this point i think so with so much rep out there uh why did the particular solo pieces that you chose why did they speak to you or how did they speak to you you have struck the nail on the head rob (laughs) (laughs) is it like freshman year first semester in they say please write a solo flute piece yes absolutely also use all the extended techniques at all times yes So yes, there are a million of them. And as someone who does a lot of my solo performing with only me on stage, it's surprising how few pieces I play that are just solo flute. Uh, Even as a flutist, I'm not interested in listening to 70 minutes of me by myself. (laughs) This is why I play electroacoustic music, because it's simply a wider palette of sounds. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I play very few solo flute pieces. And yet, of course, with this Call for Scores project, there were tons of solo works. So the ones that ended up on the album all had a really unique viewpoint, The album starts with a work by Josh Oxford called Blues. It's probably the most user-friendly work on the album in that it really does sound like a traditional blues, but done up with a whole bunch of flute extended techniques. I think that the flutists who listen to this album are going to adopt it and everyone will be playing it in the next five years. It'll be crazy. It's really really a fun piece. And actually one of the ones that we're going to listen to. So maybe let's go a little bit uh, deeper into that piece, Blues. It's Blues with a Z and uh, a dot, dot, dot after it. Um, so Jocks Oxford, uh, you, uh, have you have you met him before? I have or? met him on Skype a number of times, but not in person at this point. 
Uh, he lives up in Ithaca, New York, and he's a very interesting composer in that he has a lot of experience both in classical genres and in popular genres, and he does a lot of um, live performing with synthesizers and more popular things. So I think this piece is is really up his alley in terms of his aesthetic. So um, you were talking about, you know, it's kind of a traditional blues and it's been kind of done up with some extended techniques. What what kinds of stuff are you doing? When I listened to it, I heard some like singing and playing. Yeah, there's a lot of singing and playing, um, sometimes with a purer sound and more often with that sort of distorted whammy bar sound that you get that often imitates guitar with flute. Uh, he uses a lot of tongue percussive techniques, whether it's tongue pizzicato or lip pizzicato. There's some key slaps in there. There's a lot of pitch bending that I'm mainly choosing to do as a finger technique rather than as a rolling technique. And then uh, there's a lot of what he calls ghost notes, where I'm trying to imitate good jazz players, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which was something new for me, but with some careful listening, I hope I got it right. So there's, uh, there's a lot of fun going on in this piece in terms of extended techniques. Uh, and this one seems as a, as a work, it seems to, to really use those from an authentic and, and unique sort of perspective. Yeah. That's always the thing with extended techniques is, uh, having them be as you say authentic to the authentic to the language of the piece and i i mean i i'm sure as as a flute player you've you've seen those works out there that where it's just like oh pretty melody 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 weird something just for the sake of it but the, but i would agree at listening to this piece it seemed like you know it was coming from uh all all the techniques that he used were coming from a very organic place that was within the language of the piece. Absolutely. And I agree with that a lot. It's one of the things that separates works that intrigue me for flute from works that intrigue me less <laughs> is, <laughs> is I'm always happy to do any extended technique if it furthers the ethos of the work at hand. Yeah. Uh, but if it's added in there to say that the composer has a command of that technique, I really couldn't be less interested. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think as I was listening, I mean, I, I couldn't catch all of them, but it did seem like there were a number of quotes uh, in this in this piece, especially there was one right at the end, and now now I can't remember what it was, but do you, do you know what I'm talking about? There are a couple of licks in there that are, are are really emblematic of some other pieces. There absolutely are. In fact, there are there are two very distinct quotes and I am not enough of a, of a jazz or blues aficionado to tell you what they are. And if I weren't recovering from laryngitis, I would sing them for you and you would pick them out too. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, listeners will just have to go and figure it out for themselves. So let's listen to it right now. This is Blues by Josh Oxford, performed by Lindsay Goodman. Thank <laughs> you. 
While we're still in this uh, solo flute uh, part of the album, let's talk about uh, Jason Torin's Gadfly. And uh, he has two works on the on the album, both relatively short. So can you tell me a little bit about this one? Yes. So you're absolutely correct. Uh, Jason has two works on the album. One is a solo flute work and one is a solo alto flute work. Um, Gadfly is the one for C flute. Um, and he told me that he really wanted to create this sensation of a tiny, annoying, buzzing insect that just <laughs> wouldn't leave you alone. So that's what Gadfly is for. And I think this is another great example of how a composer can utilize extended techniques for the flute in such a way that is very genuine to what they're writing. Um, he uses a lot of timbral fingerings to create different effects along with sometimes flutter tongue or pitch bending. And all of that really creates this sort of insect-like sensation. He also has some <clears throat> unique multiphonics that he wrote that have a choice of which notes I can produce. Um, so different intervals create more of that annoying, niggling sensation of, than others. And he also actually almost quotes part of, of course, Verez's Density 21.5 with the key clicks in the middle section, which I always picture oh, as somebody like... Right tapping, like trying to hit the insect off of themselves. 
So it's a Verez quote in there too. Okay. Yeah. In in his program notes, he says that in both of his pieces, he says this would be a good uh, companion piece for either the Verez Density 21.5 or Debussy's uh, Syrinx. And I think that's, I mean, it, I, I, I honestly, I think that's a really good idea to have some historical, uh, to have some historical, uh, what am I trying to say? I don't know. Context. There it is. There's the word. <laughs> yeah, to get to give your piece some historical context and be, to be also thinking about the uh, you know, the performance situation that it would likely find itself in. Absolutely. And Jason and I have talked about this at some length for both of his works that um both with their short accessible length with their link to other traditional solo works, traditional whatever that means. Uh, <laughs> and they're, they're user-friendly and very clearly notated extended techniques that these are great works for people who, if they're just looking into getting, performing new works for flute, that these are a really great jumping off point. It's easy to program a three-minute something that harkens back to a work we all know and say, okay, hey, I'm going to try some of this living composer stuff. And then they can get totally hooked like me. It, the the other piece that he has uh, that that the title of that piece is escaping me. Marcias. Right okay. Does that start with a density twenty one point five quote? I believe it does. Hold on, let me just pull up the sheet music here. That one is named after a Greek mythological um, figure. Uh, and he actually gave me the option, do I want to play it on alto flute or regular flute? As someone who loves the alto flute, I always jump at that chance. And yes, it again starts with another Verez quote. Um, it's even some of the rhythmic gestures that he uses throughout um, the Density 21.5. Uh, so yes, he uses it in both works. And I generally have been programming them back to back for that reason, because they make such a lovely pair, an, an homage, yeah. as it were. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, let's listen to this uh, this short work. We're going to be hearing uh, Gadfly by Jason Torrens, uh, performed by Lindsay Goodman.
I wanted to uh, focus on the the kind of other uh, performing ensemble that is on this, the, and that's the Chrysalis duo. So that's you and uh, Robert Frankenberry. So who who is who is Robert Frankenberry, and how did you get connected with him and start playing together? Rob is my oldest continuous musical partner. I think I met Rob when I was 15 or 16 at a summer flute workshop in Akron, Ohio. Uh, He was a staff accompanist at the time, and uh, he accompanied me for my undergraduate auditions, of all things. And uh, he's a real new music champion. He's not just a pianist. He's an incredibly fine tenor and an arranger and a conductor and a stage director. He's a renaissance man of all varieties and just one of the absolute finest musicians I know. Uh, We started performing as Chrysalis, goodness, maybe seven or eight years ago. And our duo isn't just a flute and piano duo. It's it's actually what we call a transformative duo for singing flutist and singing pianist. Because even though you can't tell today, I'm actually a mezzo-soprano. <laughs> <clears throat> so we've commissioned a number of works for singing flutist, singing piano, and we'll do some rep where Rob sings from the keyboard or I, I sing with him accompanying. And so we do a, a broad spectrum of things, more than you would expect from just a soloist out front, accompanist at the piano yeah. sort of relationship. Uh, so this particular work... Uh, on this album by Ala Cohen is a more traditional flute and piano piece. If you listen to my first album, Reach Through the Sky, on that Chrysalis recorded a piece by Jilda Lyons, which is really a tour de force improvisation for four different voices melded as one between flute, piano, and voices with a nearly all extended technique. So that's a different side of chrysalis. Is So you're, <laughs> so you are doing things, you're, you're literally singing. It's not just like in the uh, Sariajo sense where you're playing flute and whispering, but it's like you take the flute away and you sing sometimes and you play flute and then Rob plays piano and sings or just sings or just plays piano or yes all of those things wow yeah yeah sometimes we just do some art songs and sometimes we make really weird sounds and scream into the piano with the pedals down with preparations (laughs) and everything in between that's awesome yeah so you in in your bio it said you you had training as a as a mezzo soprano so so that's a completely different side of you where you will just put the flute down and do an art song Indeed. I have done less of that lately, but that's something that I pursued very seriously for a number of years. And I still do some of it uh, in my in my solo performances. It's something that I'd, I'd always wanted to do. And in my 20s, I finally just set aside the time to to take the the eight, eight or nine years that it takes to really build an operatic voice. And I studied very seriously. Um, I've done some soloing with orchestra and there's some recordings of me singing on other albums. So it's something that's really fun. And oddly enough, voice and flute really are very interconnected and singing only served to strengthen my flute playing and my understanding of, of my aesthetics and the same worked for my voice that all of my understanding of breath technique and, uh, shapes with the mouth and tongue really informed me as a singer as well. Wow, a completely different side of Lindsay Goodman. <laughs> Cats out of the bag. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, let's now you you already mentioned it, but we are the the last piece we're going to focus on is by Ala Cohen and it's Watercolors of the Master who is accustomed to paint oils and it is a four four movement work for flute and piano with without singing um but each each of the movements is kind of miniature length you know we're talking only about uh, the shortest one is 45 seconds the longest one is uh, just under 2 minutes so can you tell us a little bit about this particular piece and why again why this one kind of spoke to you for the album Absolutely. So Allah has a series of works by this same title for different instrumentations. 
And so if you if you go to her website or go to her YouTube and listen, you'll find a number of things. Some of them are solo works with piano. Some of them are larger instrumentations. And I think initially I expected, uh, similarly to Jen's piece, Flight 710 to Cabo San Lucas, that it would be different orchestrations of the same material. And instead, it's quite different material for each one. And so I really liked this idea and I haven't spoken to Allah about this, but my mental idea is, as we're talking about a visual art piece, a watercolor, that that can be redone in many ways. I think about the times I've stood in front of all of Monet's studies of haystacks and yeah. different ways of looking at the same material, even though it produces a completely new artwork. And I think that's uh, Allah's aesthetic with these, that it's there's something of a commonality, but always produces something different. And you struck the nail on the head for me is that I love miniatures. <laughs> I love the idea of only having a small amount of time or a small amount of material and getting the most concentrated musical message across. Um, and I think that most of these four movements have that sort of Baroque aesthetic where we're communicating one affect at a time or at most maybe two affects that are in contrast to one another. And I find something about that so refreshing and fun. Uh, I so far have only performed these as one four-movement work, but I'm very interested in exploring more about using this particular work to hinge together a program, doing a miniature to start and then a larger work and a miniature and a larger work and linking it together in that way to create something through composed for a, for an evening length program. So that was one of the exact reasons that I was so drawn to this piece. Yeah. The miniature as a form is, has always been really interesting to me too. I have, I think I have three or four different pieces that are sets of miniatures because I really like that, uh, that idea that this is about one thing and it's just, you know, it's, it's concentrated and it doesn't have to, you you don't really have to think so much about where is this going? You only have to think, where is this? You know, it keeps you kind of in the moment of the material and not like looking forward into this grand design over, you know, over minutes and minutes and minutes of music. And I think I think that's what I love about it so much is that just like a painting can be just or a painting or, or a photograph can be just capturing a moment. A miniature does that more or less same thing. Exactly. That's what I love about it, too. I'm going to bastardize this Stravinsky quote, but he said, music is the only music is the only point at which man realizes the present. Mm -hmm. And so miniatures really do force you to be, to be mindful in the moment in a way that very few other musical art forms do. So I just adore them. Yeah. Well, uh, let's listen to this piece. So like I said, there are four movements. Uh, the movements are... Uh, looks like just tempo markings um the first one is andante mesto the second one is con moto triste uh the third is uh komodo and the fourth is allegro impetuoso and we are going to be hearing the this piece by ala cohen watercolors of the master who is accustomed to paint oils performed by the Chrysalis Duo, which is Lindsay Goodman on flute and Robert Frankenberry on piano.
come to the final question the one that I ask everyone who's on the podcast how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life wow we're just getting to the big questions aren't we Rob yes the very the very big questions (laughs) so the story I always tell is that my first memory is of my dad playing the flute trying to get me to go to sleep at night my dad played I know right (laughs) my dad played flute in high school and it was one of the ways that he bonded with me on the evenings it was his turn to put me down at night and so yeah my favorite my first memory is of my dad playing flute so it was always in the house I don't really remember a time that I didn't know how to play it or make a sound out of it And as soon as I started studying seriously, it became very clear to me that this was it. Uh, I remember being 14 and going to an orchestra rehearsal uh, with a a local youth orchestra for the first time. And I came back and I said, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to be a professional musician. (laughs) And then I very clearly remember being perhaps 17 and hearing my first concert of works which were by living composers and contemporary music and thinking okay that's really rad (laughs) Uh, and then I I went to college and in my very first semester I was at a school in Pittsburgh called Duquesne University and David Stock uh, the late great wonderful composer and founder of the Pittsburgh New Music Ensemble 
somehow decided that I needed to be a new music person, got his claws in me, and I have never looked back. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so before we go, can you tell everyone, first of all, uh, m- a little bit more about your album that is coming out, where they can find it, and then also uh, where they could find your other albums. And then finally, um, this is a lot, uh, where they can uh, hear more of your performances and connect with you online. I think you're, I think you're on all the, all the major platforms. Absolutely. So the new album, Eterio, came out on January 10th from the Navona label of Parma Recordings. So you can find it from Parma's website, as well as all of your favorite outlets. It's going to be on iTunes and Spotify, Amazon, all of the places. You can find both it and my other two albums, Uh, Reach Through the Sky and Returning to Heights Unseen, both from my website, which is lindsaygoodman.com, as well as all the other major outlets, iTunes and Spotify and so on. And yes, please connect with me. I'm on Facebook at Lindsay Goodman Flutist and Twitter and Instagram at Lindsay J. Goodman. I I love to meet like-minded, fabulous new music folk on all of the platforms. So come visit with me. Thank you so much for doing this, Lindsay. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.